Hi, I'm Andy. I'm Lucy. And I'm Mickey. Welcome to Catcall, the feminist podcast. Okay, so welcome to Catcall, the feminist podcast. Again, I'm going to remind you about our Twitter which is Catcall Podcast, and our email account um, on which you can send us emails. Um, so it's um, catcallpodcast at gmail.com. Um, it's written how it's said, to be honest. Um, and we also have this running competition on Twitter now um, where you have uh, the best catcalls. So guys, just like tell us your best catcalls. They can be like funny. Guys are invited to join. Um, and we will, um, at the end of every week, uh, we will declare a winner. So the best cat call will get um, his or her name on the podcast, I guess. <laughs> We're too poor to give you anything in real life. So Who needs real life things when you have a cat call accolade? Yay. I know. Yay. Lucy and I were... Um, different Lucy, actually. I was about to say Lucy and I, but I have, a, I have another Lucy. Shared. I have Lucy squared. Um, <laughs> and I used to live with the other Lucy, Lucy Thomas, who is also a wonderful feminist, but is constantly travelling, so couldn't join us on yeah. this podcast. Um, but we used to live in a place called Turnpike Lane, which is in London, and it's lovely. Like It's a nice place. Um, it was a bit stabby. Someone got stabbed outside our front door on our first night. A bit dangerous. Yay. But every time we walked out the house, for some reason, and we don't really know why, it was the most catcordy place in London. Um, so we developed these strategies and we'd know like if we put on a certain outfit that we were gonna get catcalls. So Lucy started um, like thinking up these these feminist things that we could say. So every time a man would be like, oh ladies, you're so sexy. We had this reply of thank you, my brain is excellent. And I think incredibly intelligent thoughts <laughs> and kind of giggle as we walked away with our hands in the air. And that all worked really well. Um, and then my mum came to visit once and a man cat called me and all I could think to do was just go woof. And then I was like, oh. <laughs> <laughs> this is my time to show my matriarch that I am fully feministed. And it didn't work. Ah. <laughs> oh. I think woof is a perfectly adequate response. <laughs> and to a cackle, especially. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Woof. Woof. Yeah. <laughs> oh. um, anyway, on this week, uh, we are announcing uh, the sad death of uh, Prince, but also um, China, um, who you probably don't know. <laughs> uh, she was a WWE um, wrestler um, who died at 45 years old. Um, and I personally think she's a feminist icon uh, because she, um, well, she was the bodyguard to a fellow WWE wrestler. Um, and as we all know, wrestlers usually, especially uh, male wrestlers, usually have the stereotype attached to them that they can pretty much handle themselves, I think. Um, we can safely say. But she was his bodyguard. Um, and she was the last woman to win the Intercontinental uh, WWE wrestling WWE sorry uh, wrestling championship the first woman to ever enter the Royal Rumble uh, and she also used to um, usually wrestle men including uh, Dwayne Johnson or The Rock as we usually know him she wrestled The Rock yeah. I know what she, a cool lady who is this woman I, I know I feel really bad because I only really found out about her the other day and that was just with a breaking news China's died and yeah. then we found out who she was and I was like I don't think I've ever 
heard the B read the BBC like breaking news thing say porn star has died. Yeah. Yeah. It was incredible. Uh, exactly. Amazing. I think and one of the other like amazing things about her was she was in a really abusive relationship. Was she? Yeah. yeah with um, like her ex Triple H. Exactly. And I think she was his bodyguard actually. Yeah. Triple H is But she that he was the reason. Well he denies it, as does the WWE boss. But yeah. according to China and a lot of like her fellow wrestlers, he was the reason she um, lost her contract in two thousand and one. Yeah, because he was like so abusive and caused her so many problems. And she like she got a drinking problem supposedly because of him. Like caused her loads of problems, but she was really open about it. And I think for me, like much more than kind of being the first woman wrestler, because I mean Maggie Thatcher was the first female <laughs> prime minister, and she was fairly. And we all know how that went down. <laughs> yeah, like I think there's a lot of things that make a woman a feminist and a feminist icon. It doesn't necessarily have to be a job, yeah. but that, like coming out um, and saying I was in an abusive relationship. Yeah, was really, shit. really strong. But yeah. what I personally really like about China was the fact that she spoke four languages. Um, she was considered um, a. Uh, you know, like people who are good for nothing, basically, in her high school and her middle school, um, which I can personally relate to. Um, but that's another story uh, for <laughs> another day. <laughs> and um, she ended up graduating from uh, Tampa University, um, and she spoke four languages, including French and Japanese. Wow. Um, and I can't remember the other ones. I think it was Spanish in the mix also, mm. and Russian, but that one might be wrong, so don't quote me on that. It's incredible, isn't it? Uh, I think yeah. it, it defies all the stereotypes. Not just that you hear about women, because obviously there's lots of very intelligent women and they're in the media and blah, blah, blah. But also but about porn stars and porn wrestlers stars, Porn stars and wrestlers. Like, they're generally seen as like, oh, you, you're you a porn star? How sad for you. <laughs> like, we, uh, we're going to be talking to Tasneem later. And I think it's like a similar thing of like, oh, women are pushed into this, so they can't have any brains. And you're like, uh, sorry, I didn't give any context to this, but Tasneem is um, Tasneem <laughs> is a Muslim woman who wears um, the burqa or the jilbab, and she um, is incredibly articulate and intelligent. And I would I wouldn't even dare to argue with her on anything. Oh, no. She's terrifying, <laughs> um, and I think anyone telling her that she's been pushed into doing something is just ridiculous. I think it's the same for a lot of porn stars. Yeah, 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 and she was like. I mean, any like a lot of people think that porn stars aren't feminist, and I think in a lot of cases, sometimes they might be pushed into it because of uh, monetary reasons or because uh, they don't know what it's really like. Uh, but I think in the case of China, she was such an intelligent. Not that I'm saying that. Um, mm. I follow a bunch of porn stars on my Twitter account, actually, uh, including Stoya. Um, but that's another story for another day. Again, I'm getting. Um, sidetracked but I think for me the thing is that we have these sort of stereotypes which are which come actually from like quite a caring place so the reason yeah. why people are like oh sex work is bad because or oh pornography is bad because or oh wearing a full body um, um, the full body clothing that you would wear if you were a, a very sort of devout Muslim is bad because all come from these narratives which are drawn up from um, from real life situations where perhaps a woman is forced into these mm. things. So it's not necessarily that these people are like, I'm going to um, force my belief on you because you're clearly, you know, an idiot. It's, yeah. it's more complicated than that. It's much more like this thing of like, yeah, we but th it, people are like that that single narrative thing. It's not that that single narrative that we have doesn't it, it doesn't fit everyone. It doesn't yeah. fit Tessneem. It doesn't fit the sex workers um, opera that people that we met. It doesn't fit um, 
people that I know. But I think that that's something that, I don't know, it's worth sort of trying to talk about a bit because mm. people don't necessarily make those judgments upon people because they're being cruel. It's, it's often, often the opposite. Yeah, they're often doing it from a... Um, a very caring, a caring Yeah, I'm worried about you. Are you forced into this? You know, yeah. As a feminist, I'm worried about you, that sort of thing. When actually it's like, well, as a feminist... Yeah, you should like. You yeah, should let them, I let think that tell you whether or not that's yeah. okay. And I, I think that's probably the 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 that's for me is the problem I have with it is. And I used to do this massively, um, so I definitely get why it happens. But I think if you're going to take on a label, like feminist, and I think it's often really, you're probably not going to challenge someone themselves on being a sex worker. It, especially not a sex worker yeah. because it's really rare to kind of meet a sex worker that is open yeah. about their profession because they're so kind of stigmatised. Um, but challenge someone on wearing a book or anything like that um, unless you're a really unless you're a really ardent feminist. So it's... it's it, for me, it's annoying when people take on that label of I'm a big feminist but haven't really thought about, like, the implications of what they're doing is patronising and that annoys me. I think that's that's my problem with it. Like how to do feminist yeah. feminism. I think I sent you an article recently by uh, the comedian who said... Yes. Who, who, what's her name? Sarah Pascoe. So Sarah oh, Pascoe. So good. And I love her. <laughs> I realised I loved her whilst reading this uh, Guardian article where she one of her quotes was, um, it took me a while to get to a point where I realised that I, um, you know, I, what was it? Being a feminist doesn't mean telling other people how to do feminism. Mm. Yes. Oh, yeah, that was the one. Yeah. Yeah. And it's so true. And I think I was caught up in that uh, when I was living in France particularly. um, Because in France, we, uh, as we're going to talk about with Fesman, (laughs) Fesman later on, um, in France, we're very caught up in the fact that Wearing the veil is against the republic. Yeah. And that's something in France that happens a lot. And that's something I was caught up in and saying to other women that they, ooh, you dress slutty. And I don't think I even considered myself a feminist because that's not even a real... When I left France in 2013, feminism wasn't a movement. Like, it wasn't there at all. Mm. Um, Maybe it was because I was living in rural France more. Yeah, possibly. Possibly, but even in the big cities, like it wasn't. I didn't get a feeling that it was a thing. I think I had the opposite, to be honest. I used to. So my first memory of feminism was me and my friend Fiona um, went round our. So I lived on this village green, and there was like <laughs> twenty houses or something, and that's where I grew up. And they were, they were all the people I ever knew. And then Scottish widows, um, who are an insurance company. Um, I think they're insurance, or they're like ISAs or savings or investment or something like that. Yeah. Well, out this advert, and it was this woman, and she, for some reason, she had a hood up. You couldn't see her face, but you could just see her very sexy back. Ooh. And it was, yeah, it was really strange. Like, it just didn't make any sense <laughs> for a financial advert to have that. So Fiona and I, at age like eight, maybe possibly younger, took around this petition around the green, um, got like all of our neighbours to sign it to get Scottish widows to take down this advert. Obviously, there was only like 20 signatures. And I remember one of them, who was called Joe, and he lived opposite us, and I used to steal his gravel. Um, <laughs> he, was like, he was like, girls, who's making you do this? And we were like, no one is making us do this. Don't you dare say that someone else is making us do this. But nowadays, oh my God, like I can't, I think when you're starting out as a feminist, obviously I was super yeah. young and still like forming my ideas, but when you're starting out, you're so much more ardent about stuff and so much more willing but to be like, this so is Also, you're so much more um, likely to get, the younger you are particularly, I mean, I know 
myself being Lucy and Mickey, we're both very, very passionate about engaging young people in these kind of issues. But there's massively this stereotype of like, well, if you're young, like the first time you come to this thing, you must just you be, don't know what you're doing. Your mummy's told you to do this. Yes. Yeah. Wait, no, I am a perfectly like all I'm doing is looking at the world around me and going, hang on a minute. That doesn't, <laughs> and that right. doesn't take like an age 20 year old to do that. It takes yeah. anyone that wants to engage with the world. And who wants to engage with the world and be interested by the world more than anyone than a, than a child? Yeah, exactly. Like, I think people underestimate children often. And even like students, we under, underestimate as a society, mm. um, university students, yeah, and that's just which is sad because like the 20 year olds and even sort of, um, this is going to get really political, but like with the um, living wage, supposedly, mm. which is barely a living wage. But um, it's under 25-year-olds, I think, aren't allowed to have the living wage. And it's kind of like, wait a second, do they work less than anyone yeah. else? Like, hang on a minute. And we constantly underestimate them. Yeah. Um, Lucy and I find that a lot. We both, um, well, Lucy works full-time and about to start, guys, and about to start, but I'm a real With um, a charity called the Economist Educational Foundation who work with young people to kind of teach them about long-term trends in current affairs. And these are really young people. These are like year five to older. Yeah. And we, we had a Twitter argument with me. I say we, I didn't join in. But <laughs> I didn't <laughs> tell you about the Twitter spat. Like Mickey, we had a Twitter spat. So we had, we're currently discussing the EU referendum with the young people. We had a whole, um, I basically put a quote up from a young person, which I do quite often on the social media. And we got a response basically, which was basically to paraphrase what he was saying. His argument was, why are you even bothering to engage young people with thi- with this because they couldn't possibly understand it? And our response was, well, they can. You just need to look at the work we're doing and the stuff they're saying. Yeah, if you, uh, you read, read the post, you, sir, you, you would have <laughs> you've been able to see that they're very much engaged. Yeah, and and like, de- who's definitely this assumption that, well, someone must have told you to, yeah. to say that. Yeah. So I even sent him a link to the resources, which, were, which weren't what this what this um, club member had come up with you know this club member had formed their own idea on something um, which is what they do all the time which is what I they think, do yeah. Yeah. And, and yeah that's going to be something and yet the same kind of see. person who says that on Twitter will be like oh young people don't vote <laughs> yeah exactly and young so people it's like, are so disengaged exactly terrible. so like as I say, we're disengaged I don't think that, by the way I don't think like young people are disengaged I think that no one engages them mm. like if anything yeah. I think it's um, a really good way of putting it yeah, yeah, definitely. I think so. The, our next our segue <laughs> is a bit <laughs> of an abrupt <laughs> one. So, Andy, this week you've you've had um, some issues with the with the implant. Is that right? Do you want to tell us some more? Yeah, um, I personally think that people aren't properly educated about um, contraceptives in general. Uh, and I had a, it was about a year ago, but I've had problems with it for um, a while. So about a year ago, like, no, more, I don't know, 2015, September, um, I decided to get the implants because I had really bad periods and I couldn't go out. Like, it was crippling, where I just kind of, like, stayed in bed all day eating Ben and Jerry's. Like, the stereotype, I couldn't move uh, because of the physical pain. Um and I heard somewhere that uh, the implants, you didn't have periods anymore. So for me, there was a solution. Also, um, yeah, I needed to get uh, on the contraceptive because I had a boyfriend. Uh, and so I went to the doctors and it's like, I want the implant. And so she started telling me about it. 
And she's like, okay, there's going to be those side effects. And it's, um, she didn't actually say it was different to the pill. She was like, it's the exact same thing. I was like, okay, <laughs> very cool. Um, it's, it's not. Uh, the implant, it's a little like piece of plastic, basically, with like hormones in it. Um, I'm not a GP, so I don't know what fre- at what frequency uh, the hormones are like injected into your system. And that's one of the things I would have liked to know, actually. Um, but she didn't know, so, A. <laughs> um, and uh, while, I was, while she was putting it in, I remember, uh, so it's like in my arm, in my right left, left arm, uh, and it's just between the skin and the muscle. Uh, and she told me that it wouldn't make me gain any weight. It wouldn't make me, um, it would just basically the only side effect she said it would do was um, not having periods. Uh, so she put it in and while she was putting it in, she said like, oh, by the way, it might get lodged in your muscle um, and uh, we might need to operate you to get it out. And that was, and I came to that um, to that GP three separate times before that moment. So I was like, oh, well, mm. it's too late to not do it because you already put it in my arm. So I guess worst case, I'll get an operation to get it out of my muscle. Great. Um and then what happened was I took uh, 10 kilos. Um, I don't know if... Anyway, 10 ki- I think people in England know what kilos are. Yeah. Because I know you guys work in pounds a lot <laughs> we more. We do. Yeah, I don't it's know. It's like five pounds, isn't it? Five, yeah. Or is it the other way around? Ah, I don't know. <laughs> Who knows? Yeah, anyway. Um, so I got... T- I put on 10 kilos, which is a lot of pounds. <laughs> uh, way too many. Um, went back to the doctor saying, like, listen... I took on a lot of weight uh i'm depressed i have suicidal thoughts uh what's happening and she was like oh it's not it's not the implant it can't possibly be and she was so snooty about it and just like being a total dick about it and like telling me that i had um uh so i was like really depressed at the time and i was like in a really bad place uh and it was since i had the implant in uh so (laughs) um (laughs) Did you have it taken out after that then? Uh, no, I didn't because I was too scared of getting an operation because she scared mm. the crap out of me. And also, if um, your GP is saying it's not that... And the GP of... was saying it wasn't that. So you tend to trust your GP. Yeah. But at the same time, there was like this cons- consistent... like um, it, it leveled out at some point. No one gave me anything. It leveled out. But that was like six months in. And if you put any amount, so I've got um, a friend that's recently gone back on the pill recently, said recently twice, um, but she has massively felt a shift in her head. And the thing with any of these recent sort of contraceptives that are given to women is that I think ordinarily you you leave it a long period of time Mm. and then you test it and go, okay, well, what, what did you feel? And by a long period of time, I mean like 20 to 40 years, the contraceptive pills only just having been around for yeah. long enough for people to be able to do retrospective studies on it. Yeah. And I think that for any GP to say to a woman, particularly a male GP, <laughs> to say to a woman, oh, this can't possibly be having an effect on your mood. Exactly. Like, do you, well, you don't understand what the ho- hormones and the yeah. effect they have. So if you're, you also don't know what you're talking you about. And it makes you feel insane. Like, it, yeah. it makes you feel like, like you're crazy because everyone's telling you that, like, you're not putting on weight because of the implant. You're mm. not going insane because of the implant. You're just a crazy woman. And they were so um, snooty about it. Uh, mm. I don't know how else to say it. And so, like, 
oh no, it's just like, you're insane. Basically, that's what I got from that conversation. And I was like going there for help. I think you get to a certain age as well. Or I think, think, you know, we've had, we've got the pill, we've got this, we've got that. First of all, you expect there to be a certain like, um, I mean, I've got really irritating stories from having been to um, like get my contraceptive, um, get contraception sorted. But you also think like, where, where in like, 2016, we've had the pill for quite a while. Yeah. Why is it still not working for women yet? Is it <laughs> maybe massive generalization, but because the people that are probably working on it tend to be like mm. money making men? <laughs> well, I, I have the non hormonal, I have the copper coil. Oh. Um, and I've had for years. Yeah. Um, and the scariest thing happened to me about oh, in October time. So until. Last July, I was sleeping with men and plenty of them, but why not? <laughs> and then in July, I met my current partner, Sky, who is not a man. Um, and then in September, September to kind of October, my womb felt like it had knives in it. And every time <gasps> I sat down, it was, it was like something was stabbing me in the vagina. That's and it was terrifying. awful. So it took me two weeks. I remember you saying this. Yeah, I think I texted you and said, yeah. there's a knife in my vagina. Yeah, and I was like, what? <laughs> <laughs> Take it like, out. Like Take the knife like, out of your vagina. <laughs> what are you Eagle, there is a knife. <laughs> no. Um, so it took me about two weeks to get to the clinic because it did. And um, I got there and she she did the ultrasoundy, woomy, up the veg thing, mm, the stick. Yeah. And she was like, oh, oh, it looks like it might have been put in wrong. And I was like, what? Oh, and I'd had how? this for two years and had been sleeping with all of the men on the earth. And she was <laughs> like, she was like, oh, I really hope my mum doesn't listen to this. She was like, it looks like it's been put in wrong. It's actually, it's not in the right place. It's in your cervix. <gasps> That's why it's causing you so much pain. I don't know why it hasn't caused it earlier. And I was like, so it's been protecting me, right? And she's like, mm, who put no. it in? Did you call the person who put it in? Because like, I would have called him. And it was. Like, well, it I'm was. Going to, no, I'm not, not going to say where it was because that place is is currently in a lot of. Oh no! I love that place. Yeah, that place is amazing. Like, I, and I don't think it's anything to do with that no. that place because it is it is wicked. It's in London. It's amazing. We um, love that place. Unfortunately, it's looking at closure, but no, which is really no. sad. And it probably like it probably wasn't anything apart from one of the nurses just happened to make a slip up. But I was like, I've had this for two years and I've had a lot of sex what if why would no one say there is a chance that this is going to slip yeah or there is a chance that this is going to go wrong and it really yeah. like so when, as soon as you said let's talk about contraceptives oh my god I was like yes please because yeah, this really was terrifying because like I had never like had suicidal thought, thoughts I'm, I'm a pretty like happy person I'd like to think and I like before I put the implant in I was like you know crazy and happy mm. and six months after I was like back to my normal happy self but during a six-month period, I had yeah. suicidal thoughts, and that's extremely scary. And when your doctor, who you trust, because you know we're raised to trust like doctors, policemen, firemen, yeah. all those kinds of people, um, when your doctor tells you it's not the implant, I'm sorry, but I'm just looking at like maybe putting on weight was like I don't know. I'm mm. I'm I'd gladly said it was because I quit smoking around the same time, so I'd whatever but like suicidal thoughts i'm sorry if i quit smoking i'm not gonna like suddenly like oh let's just jump in front of a yeah. train you know what i mean like not that mm. i was ever tempted to do it i don't like, yeah i just you know? think i think that it's 
it's like a double whammy thing of it being to do with mental health. So obviously there's a whole load of cle- like a whole yeah. load of like um like things that people don't feel necessarily comfortable talking about or whatever, but I think that you're going to get any form of contraceptive. Nothing nothing good comes for free, guys. So yeah. if you're gonna I was get gonna them, say that, yeah. like you have to have a compromise. There's always you? gonna be something and and any doctor that tells you that if you do X and Y doesn't happen, it's like, well But you just like really? a like you know, like someone to tell you that you're not going crazy it was like the only thing yeah. I wanted from that was just tell someone yeah. to tell me that it was normal, it was from the uh, implant and that I wasn't going insane yes. and you know yeah. that's like all I wanted just someone to affirm that like no you're not insane and the doctor was pretty much that like, makes it very difficult to happen in six minute GP appointments isn't it like exactly. my my thing isn't similar to yours too really it's a very different form of judgment so I went to um, an SDI clinic and I um, I uh, said that I wanted to um like check whether or not I had any STIs basically um I'd slept with a few people um and like I think the last two or three I don't think I'd use protection I'd known them really well but at the same time been like oh I'm not really sure never 100% sure if a guy says to you you know whatever so I went and I got checked and they said oh how many people have you slept with this woman I said oh I've, I've slept with three people and have you used protection no um that's why I'm here and her response to me wasn't, um, oh, you should use protection because, you know, it could stop you from getting um, sexually transmitted diseases. It wasn't yeah. that. It was, um, at the time I was 22. Um, was I 22? No, 23. And her response was, well, you need to be careful because you're not really in a position to be having children, are you? And oh I, was like, I was like, sorry? She was like, well, I mean, do you have a partner? I was like, no. Okay. Um, and you're 23? Yes. Yeah, it's not really ideal for you to be thinking about having a child right now. I was like, how dare you? What? Like, if I was to fall pregnant now... Oh, and that was the other thing. She said something along the lines of... And um, basically, the reading between the lines, I can't remember word for word what she said, but it made me take a dictaphone with me next time I went to the SDI clinic, obviously, <laughs> to on. But she said something along the lines of, well, um... Oh, what was it? Oh, my God, it's completely left my mind. But it really pissed... It really angered me. Oh, what was it? I feel like we're all on like a slower gear tonight, and it's quite yeah, nice for a it Friday. It is quite nice. But, um, what did she say? What was I just saying? So I <laughs> said <laughs> you, <laughs> <laughs> you were saying about um, she told you that she shouldn't get pregnant. Yeah, yeah. And she went in a position. You were in a position. To do it. I didn't have a partner. That in itself would make me really angry because like, yeah, what it is. Oh, there was there was I a cherry on top, and I can't remember what it was. <laughs> Wasn't this? Um, I remember this visit, and I'm going to yeah. be fairly careful about what I say in case this wasn't what you mean. <laughs> <laughs> um, but didn't they judge you on the amount of partners? Yeah, it was, it was the amount them, of partners. and then they sent you to the. Uh, they didn't send me anywhere else. Oh, I must be thinking. It was okay. Different. No, so they. I, I stayed see. there, but it was because I slept with. I slept with three people. Yeah, in the no, last six in months. Like, yeah, and then they said, "Well, um, there's a likelihood you could have X, Y, and Z." And I was like, "Well, I knew my partners." There, there was that sense of like, "Yeah, I'm not just saying that I knew them and they and I and I trust them." And I'm just saying that as I'm like a naive person, it was yeah. this thing of like, "I know these guys. They're nice guys. I just want to get checked because I have yeah. not, not yeah, slept with three in a row." Also, why would they be thing? ask? Like, sure, they can ask, but, like, I just don't understand. Like, of course you're going to get checked. Yeah. Mm. If you've slept with people, mm. sh- they should be saying, well, you should have come in sooner, not <laughs> why do you want to get checked. Like, surely yeah, exactly. 
That's the response. Oh, that was it. I remembered what it was. What was it? It was the reading between the lines. What she was saying was, girls like you come in here to get <gasps> abortions and you think it's a form of contraception and I don't want you to think that's a form of contraception. <gasps> I was like, first of all, whether or not I want to have a child at the age of 23 is entirely my decision. I've not come here to get family planning yeah, uh, advice. advice. I've come here no to find out whether or not abortions. I have an STI. And secondly... If I was to fall pregnant now and I was to choose not to keep the baby, that wouldn't be me using it as a form of contraception. And how dare you? Yeah. So angry. I can't... I was so angry. And I just thought, I'm the kind of woman that is happy to turn around to this this woman and say, it's entirely inappropriate for you to make these judgments on me. Yeah. Just think of how many young girls that don't have that. And then, then think... Oh my god! I don't want to go to the STI clinic. I'm going to be judged. Yeah, or I think that's I'm it, going to get it? the it's wrong judgment. advice, yeah. and I'm going to end up getting an implant that's going to make me feel suicidal. Or yeah. I'm going to get an Im- I'm going to get a coil, and it's going to be completely wrong. Like I just think we need a yeah. better contraception yeah. Yeah. in the UK. We do. We we yeah. have we have run right over. We're we're so far over our oh, really? time limit. Yeah, but, but can I end up with like a nice course. like little story not to scare young women away? Like uh-huh. last time I went for a STI check and I ended up having thrush, which is um, not, it can be sexually transmitted, but it's not necessarily, it's just like a UTI. It's not sexually transmitted, it's something you can get from having sex, yeah, as opposed exactly. to it coming from someone else and transmitting to you. Exactly, yeah. so it's basically a UTI. And um, I was so embarrassed and um, she was adorable. She was the most, uh, the nicest person I ever met. And she saw that I was really embarrassed about it. And she said, you know, um, she said a percentage of those, like, this percentage of women have UTIs and don't even know about it. So I find it very responsible that you came over mm-hmm. and checked because that's a responsible thing to do. And she made me feel really welcome. And she's like, mm-hmm. listen, if you still have problems with the UTI, um, come back and I hope to see you soon. And I was like, uh, what do you no, mean? Really? You hope to see you soon? <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. I kind of turned around. I was like, I just had, you just tested me for HIV. <laughs> <laughs> I had such a nice I've had so many lovely I've, I've never been back to that place since that I was just telling you about but I've been to the one that we were talking about the lovely yeah. can I say the name of it? yeah because we both love it Margaret Pike and they oh, were so, so nice good. and I went and the first time I got my coil and it wasn't quite right so I went back and I had my boyfriend with me and he helped my hand and the woman was oh. really chatting lovely and there was another woman there that was learning about the stuff and I was like yep if you need to take I a had look. that my yeah. first coil ever <laughs> there was a trainee nurse there same and I just remember because I didn't know what to expect I just knew that they were going to put like a copper coil at my badge and, and I was then like, there was another okay. person there and I was like oh hello and she was like am I right to watch and I was like okay and then I looked up and they'd put a little nice picture that you could look at on the ceiling and I was like well that makes <laughs> oh, everything that fine so they, yeah, Margaret really Pike is, is the one just, yeah it is yeah. Yeah. The, like the bad experience that I had is not to do with the sensor it's just to do with human folly yeah yeah. Um, yeah also the archway clinic is really good Yes, they're actually, mm. they're the sister centre mm. to Margaret yeah. Pike. Yeah. Oh, really NHS. Are we, we doing you. a thing? Are we doing... So, right, I think we should hammer this out okay. as to whether we should so do it. As to whether... It. Oh, okay. Because, so Lucy and I are about to have a debate in which I am very ill-informed. We could always do it next week and then you could become more informed. We could do I know, my entire stance on this is going to be the ill-informed journalist who wrote a very funny article. <laughs> so, um, I refuse to get any more informed. But as a as a teaser... Shakespeare, feminist or nay? 
Yay or nay? I say say yay. I say nay based on three hours worth of research and a hundred word article. So we shall see who wins this. I've never even read Shakespeare. Well then Andy Andy just can't play. Although you can play. Play on my team. We can be the ill-informed. Okay, you guys can be the ill-informed and I will... (laughs) So I would say that can I can I go first? I'll just be the devil's advocate. We're going to do it now. No, we're going to do it next week, mate. Oh such God, a mega beaver. I'm literally what's it called? At the, biting at the bit. You're biting yeah. at the bit. That's great. Chomping at the bit. That's the one. Chomp, and chomp, chomping chomp. at the mouth. <laughs> <laughs> Literally rabies <laughs> all over the studio. Oh, but wipe it's that awful. up. No one knows Ooh. what to do. I'm sure well, John and everything won't be happy about that. Yeah, sorry, John. Got a rabies on there. I also I think I dealt with it very nicely, guys. But during this podcast. There's a so in our radio studio. I'm just going to give everyone a bit of context here. There is um, there's two rooms. One which has Lucy at the moment Hello. being the producer on the other side, oh, with the Mac yeah. and the the levels and the mixing board. And then in the other room, there's the there's, <laughs> there's Andy and I, and we have three mics, two screens, or three screens plus plus my laptop, a tiny mixer. And then next to the mics, there are three little red lights. And when your mic is on, the red light is on. I earlier twisted my red light. <laughs> And it went off, as it has just done. So I then spent about 10 minutes frantically twisting it, being like, oh, my God, I can't get it and back I on. I was really confused. And then I saw your face you running back on. And I saw Andy <laughs> looking at Lucy, and I saw Lucy looking at the mixer and being like, what is happening? Why is you were looking at me, and I was like, is there a thing? Exactly. Is it's there actually a thing? because, as I'm about to demonstrate, you can take the entire <gasps> light off. Thank wow. you very much. It's, it's not even that. I think it's somehow yeah. magnetically connected. Ah, look at you. Very exciting. We shouldn't really be making audio evidence of us dismantling Breaking the radio. The yeah. So that's been um, that's been really good fun. I really enjoyed myself. So I, I've been Lucy Palmer. <laughs> I am still Mickey Carroll. You're still Mickey. <laughs> and I'll still be Andy Gorms uh, next week, I guess. We are past, present and future. This is yeah. wonderful. Ooh. Yeah, I did it on purpose. We've got Tess Neem coming in in a second to uh, dispel a lot of the myths around... Um, um, being a Muslim woman, yeah, yeah. so that's going to be Tesneem really, really great. Is one of my idols. She she's is, amazing. Yeah. She's just like, she's just so argumentative. Yeah, and so <laughs> lovely. Yeah. And I love to be in any competition with her. We were yeah. in like a on the same team. I'd like to be on the same team. As oh her. yeah, <laughs> I was on the same team as her in like the, a media law competition, um, as we have in our university apparently. <laughs> but. Um, it was in the lecture and uh, we won because she was so eloquent and yeah. argumentative well, and I was scared. You're about to meet her. You are about yeah. to meet her. Anyway. Um, wicked. Yeah, See you great. next week. Bye. 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 Y'all already know what we do. We got classics on deck. Classics on deck. Y'all niggas ain't classic no more. Y'all not classic no more, man. Yeah. Unravel the gavel, it's a consistent battle You can fathom the fancy features you speak of, you can have them Hey, wanna trace my steps just to see what's left But I move like disco, can't dub my steps Been a lot of imposters, getting none respect Too many gimmicks with the lyrics, only one ill lit uh, Drilling the thought in your brain, feeling invincible Class out of session, kid ain't got no principles Rather steamroll your leave, you're buried in my path Hoping book on life ain't shit buried in my past Drop the mask in the act Hard to trust the face when it's just molded some wax. Figures, bro. But they doing figures, bro. Sell your soul and take what's in the envelope. But I'ma chill like we Timberlope. You only stronger than your weakest link. So I chain my words together, made the realness dip to eat. What you think? So real. My whole squad ready. We out the pocket. It's time to see that money.
So yeah, for this week we have um, Tasneem uh, as a special guest. Um, again with me, Andy. I think you recognize my voice by now, but let's just check to be sure. And uh, Lucy as well. So I've been with you for the last two podcasts as well. Yeah. Um, so Tasneem, uh, so you told me once that like you didn't always wear the burqa. Um, um, well, it's not exactly... Uh, People, when they talk about the burqa, they they think um, they have the impression that it's a face covering. So, um, as you can see, I don't cover my face. I cover yeah. my um, everything except for my face and hands. Um, uh, it's an item of clothing that basically starts from the top of my head and drapes down to the bottom. But I wear it. I can wear it in two piece or one piece. And no, I didn't always 
wear it actually. I've only worn it like this for the past two years or so. Two years or so. And um, what happened? Like, why? Like, what happened? It sounds like awful. But um, why did you suddenly decide to wear a burqa? Um, so I'll just clarify, just in case, you know, someone's listening to this and knows the different kinds of attires. What I'm wearing is called a jilbab. Okay. So the jilbab is the garment, like I said, starts from the top, ends at the ankles. Before it, by a year, I wore an abaya, which is like shoulder, a garment that begins at the shoulder, ends um, at the ankles as well. And um, like a, you know, the standard headscarf that you would call a hijab, I yeah. guess. That's what I'd worn before. And um, I guess for me, it was actually just reading religious texts and, you know, saying, you know, this is this is, you know, the right way um, to wear a hijab. And I was like, OK, I'm going to do it. And actually. In the year that I wore the um, abaya, you know, the garment that I said starts yeah. from the shoulders, ends <laughs> at the ankles, um, I actually wanted to wear the jilbab like I wear it now. But then I was kind of thinking, okay, are there going to be social repercussions? Am I ready to take this step? Um, Because I was living on my own as well. I was like, okay, when am I going to make time to go and buy one? You know, kind of, I guess I was delaying it with practical reasons because I was scared to take that step. But then I did it and, well, it's done. (laughs) What's your experience been like since? Well, it's actually been normal. I don't I don't really think that it's any different to uh, my experience when I wore, you know, the headscarf and the long overgarment that I spoke about before. But um I I think you know when when um you know, Islam's in, on the news for like not good reasons because you know there are terrorist attacks or whatever. It becomes it becomes a lot harder to where I think, you know, that I'm at more risk than, you know, say a Muslim woman who doesn't cover her hair or one who does but wears, you know, so-called Western clothing with it. Um, although, surprisingly, attacks have been on a lot of women who just wear, you know, headscarf and so-called Western clothing. Um, yeah, it becomes harder because I, I fear that people associate this imagery with ISIS or whatever. But, um, you know... I, I do it and I keep on doing it and I'm just like, you know, it's 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 what I got to do. It's what I want to do because it's not something that I want to compromise on at all just because a few people don't like it. Well, there are a lot of things I don't like, you know. I don't like mayonnaise. Do I look at you and say <laughs> your sandwiches are gross? Don't eat them in front of me. I don't do that sort of thing. So, yeah. So you, ha- yeah. Sorry. Sorry. How do you feel about people who... Um, I guess you get a lot of that, like people who judge you on like how you dress. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. People who think I don't know how to speak English. I actually remember. <laughs> <laughs> That's like, there's like That's the best ridiculous. ones. I like, go, I went I to a clinic. Them, I pity them, I could imagine. I know, having... it's like, because I can, poor people. Um, I remember going to the clinic to register. I, I lived in um, Holloway in Islington two years ago and I went to register in the clinic and the woman was looking at me and she was like have you registered at any clinics in the UK before or something like that or like you know they automatically assume foreignness because I'm this little brown woman with Islamic attire (laughs) sorry gotta say it um and I was like yes actually two places 
one when I was in, uh, you know, another part of the same borough, and you know, in the uh, in my place of birth, actually. And then she was just like, "Well, okay, you know, no, I'm not from, you know, um, I've lived in the past few years, central or east London, but I'm, you know, I'm, I'm extreme west London. If you consider that foreign, then you know, okay, I guess, you know, I guess, um, I agree with you on that one. It is almost like farmland compared to here, but you know." Yeah, that's as foreign as I get. Um, but yeah, assuming foreignness, assuming meekness that I can't stand up for myself, assuming, you know, maybe that I'm not as intelligent, all that stuff. And I get that. I get that vibe. You know, I can read people. I'm not stupid. You know, like <laughs> they might want to think that I'm stupid, but I'm not um, that kind of thing. And it's not just uh a lot of women who wear similar types of dress, including some women who cover their faces, have the same assumptions read about them. And, um, yeah, it's... Um, but then again, I, I don't... I try to not let it get to me. It doesn't really anymore. I just laugh because I'm like, you really don't have any idea, do you? Yeah. <laughs> um, stupid people. Absolutely. But there's that thing, I think... Because I've known you since first year, so that must mm. have been, like, four years ago. Yeah. So this was... <laughs> Um, like so, you were you were dressing very differently when I last saw you. Yeah. Um, do you ever feel because obviously me knowing you, I'm saying I pity the person that comes across you and oh, tries yeah. in any way <laughs> to make out like you're. Um, this isn't something that you're doing as a choice for yeah. yourself. Yeah. And yeah. You're, you're a very opinionated, very articulate woman. Yeah. Um, do you? Why do you think it is that those stereotypes still exist? I know that there's like a very sort of simple narrative that you can go, oh well, it's because it's what's seen in the media. But I know you, yeah. And also, like, so I come from Yorkshire, very close to Bradford. Yeah. Um, there's a there's a really great multicultural sort of thing going yeah. on up there, and it would be really sort of single narrative of anyone and very limited logic of anyone to say, I see people that are um, that that wear a lot of full body clothing mm. and therefore they must be ISIS. That single logic just wouldn't work with a lot of my absolutely, friends. Absolutely, absolutely. Why do you think that is still quite prevalent, even in London? Well, the thing is, I feel like there are a lot of people who maybe just don't want to know. Do you know what I mean? They, they might have seen a lot of people who look like me, you know, they're, they're their neighbours, the people they go to school with, maybe even people they work with. Um, whatever, but they just, I guess, you know, they might not think that they are the kind of people that they want to converse with. They assume that, you know, there's so much difference just because there's a difference in the attire. You know, some people just don't want to know. Some people are comfortable, I guess, thinking the things that they think. And, um, you know, if that's, if that's, you know, how they feel, then... It is what it is. A another part of it, I guess, is just besides, you know, ignorance and, you know, com um, you know, being comfortable in it. I think some of it is just racism as well. Yeah. Um, I think it's, it, it's automatically assuming, you know, that there's this lesser being. So, you know, again, why should we care? And anything that comes out of this person is not valuable anyway. So I think I think that it's um, these these things and yeah some people are just really ignorant they, they don't know and um and that's and I always feel um whenever I talk to there are some people who are really friendly and there are some things you know they wouldn't have known strangers on the street who'll ask questions 
And um, have you had any like specifics of altercations? Absolutely, <laughs> absolutely. What's been your most sort of satisfying one when you've been able to be like, I'm really not this stereotype that you make me out yeah. to be. Um, I don't, uh, I don't know if because again, I haven't had a lot of these conversations. Um, I'm always in a rush for some reason. Why am I the street? Like it's the London. good thing, the good thing about London is that everyone's on the move anyway. But yeah. um, I think. The, uh, the most recent one, there was a woman on the street um, who I'd come to know later on from the conversations that she's homeless. Okay. Um, she saw me and she thought I looked like a nun, so she started asking questions. <laughs> and um, and then she was talking to me about, you know, what she'd seen on the news about terrorism and stuff. And what I understood from her is that you know, she's really confused by everything because she was like, hold on, why is this happening? But then why why do some of them, you know, attack this place? But then what have the people in Eastern Europe, she's referring to Turkey, what have they done? And then she was just, she was just like, um, I felt like she had no clear, straight idea about no this. No what was going on. No. <laughs> and, um, but I loved speaking to her. She's very animated, very passionate, you know, um, and she and was then, asking questions. Oh yes, oh yes. And then um, I came. Was it she? Was it her trying to understand, or yes, was it yes. her being judgmental? Yes, it was her trying to understand. And for me, um, that that is the difference between. That's a deciding point whether I'll give you my time of day or not. If you're being <laughs> deliberately ignorant, I'm just going to shut down. Be like, mm-hmm. Yeah, okay, have you finished? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know that sort no of thing. Point to yeah. But um, if you want to understand, I will totally, you know, um, welcome, you know, conversation. And I love it. You know, I love yeah. love talking about it and, you know, talking like, um, as you said, Lucy, you'd known me for the past few years. There are people who were in our, you know, cohort, I guess, because, you know, took a year out, came back and stuff, um, who, you know, because I was the only one who was dressed like this, I guess asking a lot of questions in a very friendly and welcoming manner. And, you know, I loved talking and explaining everything. And it's it's cool, you know, I enjoy it. But as soon as... But then again, there have been um, instances with people when they were just being really judgmental. And I'm just... That's the point where you're just going to get one-worded answers. Yeah. And you know, if I start <laughs> saying one... It's not a good I, move. Yeah. Yeah. No. <laughs> things, good things aren't happening if yeah. Tess yeah. starts to just give you one word I'm very curious. In France right now, we've had this long, very decisive debate about Absolutely. the hijab. Yeah. Um, and right now, there's a debate about uh, banning it in universities. Well, that's dandy. I know. <laughs> um, and I know a lot of people do... Um, recurring arguments uh, against the hijab is to say that oh they were forced in it and it was it's against it and some people go as far as to say like it's against the republic and even feminists say that and like as a feminist I want to apologize for all of them because they're like in completely in the wrong and it's just completely inappropriate and I feel that it's feminism is supposed to be about women being able to do what they want to do and yet if feminists say to a woman, like, you can't wear a hijab, you're oppressed and you don't even know it. Why the imperialism? Like... Yeah, Why? exactly. You know, I was actually reading this article about how, um, you know, the fascination with Muslim women's bodies. I didn't actually get to 
you know, trawl through it properly, but how, how it has, you know, really imperialistic, misogynistic roots. Mm-hmm. And um, I'd read another quote today. If I could remember, it would have been like, you know, and at the end of the gold. day, it's still valuing the like, it's still valuing a woman by the length of a skirt. Absolutely, absolutely, yes, that <laughs> is the one. Because um, I, I really, I, where is the liberation in telling me that I can't, you know, decide to do what I want to do? And actually, um, when people, when people go like, oh my god, you were forced and all that stuff. Right, here's the thing. Yeah. <laughs> um, no one in my immediate family dresses like this. Okay, yeah. Okay. So it's completely your choice. Yeah. So um, I'm one of four girls, mm-hmm. right? Um, my mom and my younger sister wear, you know, what I wore before, you know, the hijab and, like, the yeah. long um, dress. My other sister's cover, but, like, you know, with, you know, different clothing. Okay, um, and actually with a lot of people in my immediate circle, this kind of dress was met with question marks at first. It's like, okay, why are you doing this? And and then after that, it's like, are you sure you're going to be okay, you know, venturing out to the public? What if you're scared or just... The, it was like, it was more like they were scared for me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, they, they were worried that something um, was going to happen. But... Yeah, I find it absolutely ridiculous because most women that I know, especially when they, uh, you know, choose more conservative styles of dress, such as mine, and some of them even, like, go on to veil their faces, they're actually met with opposition from their families. Mm. Yeah. Thank God I was not met with any opposition. Concern, yes. Opposition, no. But does that opposition from from other people's families stem from a sense of, like, if you do this, then then your life is going to get much harder? Yes. So it's the same thing that you were met with, but your family were understanding, as opposed to this But for some of them, it's like, what the hell are you doing? Mm. We don't understand this. But, you is, know? but is that a sense of like, why would you do this when you know that how how much how much riskier your life would become? No, not really. For some of these people, it's like, why are you doing this? Um, we don't believe this is a religious requirement. Don't do it. But then these women who've taken it upon themselves to study, to ask, and all that stuff. So it's believe the total it is. polar opposite. Yeah. Absolutely, absolutely, yeah. <laughs> and that's what shocks me all the time. People go like, oh my god, you know. The you know these women are forced, and I'm actually like no, they're actually being forced out of their own decision. <laughs> they're fighting against the grain, you know, to keep their right to do this. Yeah, and um, a lot of these families have you know si- similar ideas sometimes, even about you know just you know the headscarf and like standard clothing. The same as you know Mr. Yeah. Sadiq Khan, who we're going to discuss later. Yeah, who, well, that right they now have. I'm going to bring it up yeah. now. For our listeners, um, Khan is the first ever Muslim cabinet, cabinet minister in uh, Gordon Brown's cabinet. I think it was in 2009. Yep. Okay, good. Um, and um, he just warned uh, of an insidious development um, uh, where women want to wear a hijab. And he was saying that, so this is a direct quote. Uh, when I was younger, you didn't see people in hijabs and niqabs, not even in Pakistan, where I visited my family. In London, we got on. Um, people dress the same. What you see now are people born and raised here who are choosing to wear a uh, jil- jilbab, um, so it's a loose gown or niqab, 
Um, and then he said, there is a question to be asked about what is going on in those homes. Uh, what's insidious is if people are starting to think it is appropriate to treat women differently or that it has been forced um, upon them. What worries me is children being forced to adopt a lifestyle. Do you think that happens? Do you think in London that he's talking about London specifically? Obviously, your family is, in, is, is sounds really sound, as we'd say up in Yorkshire. And most families <laughs> and are. And most families are. Mm. What What is he talking about there? Because that doesn't sound like the what you're talking about at yeah. all. Um, I'm just curious because Sadiq uh, uh, Khan speaks about when he was growing up. And I was like, well, growing up where? Because um, my family have been in, you know, in this country for, you know, close to 34 years, I guess, because... Um, and then I'm just I'm just thinking, you know, where is this? Because my mum has worn the hijab, you know, ever since. It's, it, it's, it's been that way, and lots of women and, you know, and, and, you know, female family members have worn it. And I'm just like... You know what? What hole have you been in? You know. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I don't. I'm trying to be kind, but um, why do you think he's so? Don't hold back, Tess. <laughs> because we're here to discuss. The <laughs> yeah, thing. he's the front runner in the mayoral, and that's election. worrying. That's dangerous because he is known as the Muslim candidate, but he's shutting out so many Muslims. You know. Okay, yeah, there are some. There, there might be some girls who are forced to adopt a certain thing, but there are lots of people who are forced to do plenty of things from their families. You know, I know, you know, lots of girls who are forced. You know, for example, by their mothers growing up. This is one example of you know one form of coercion that I don't agree with. You know, forced to diet to look a certain way. That is coercion too. You know, there are different kinds of coercive behaviors this is just one of them okay and choosing to do that and uh, to take that one and to say you know this is this is what's happening in the whole i'm gonna ask questions and all that stuff well it's it's ridiculous you know it, he's clearly not been engaging with a lot of people the fact that there are women who are born here who choose to do this choice being the key word what's his problem you being Muslim, him being Muslim, obviously, as far as his can his campaigns concerned, you would be the the ideal sort of person to then vote for him. But which which way would you vote? Do you think who would you rather be our our mayor based on the back of his of his campaign? I don't know. It's like honestly, like with him and Zach Goldsmith, you know, who are the front runners. It's like choosing to eat my eyeballs or choosing to eat my toes. <laughs> I don't want either, you know? It's... But if you had to choose, Tess, you have to choose Or one. would you rather vote green? Or... Or who would you vote for then? Obviously, there's not just two candidates. Because like, there? there's also someone from the Women's Equality uh, Party, I think yep. it's called. Yeah. Yep. Okay, got it right. Honestly, in, in all complete honesty, and that might just be a <gasps> shock, um, I'm just... I'm not interested in the entire election but because Sophie Walker does sound like she could be potentially quite an interesting candidate and if she ends up being the mayor and she does good stuff well great you know yeah. uh, I look forward to someone who's going to do great things but um, overall I'm just I'm just like yeah let's see how this happens because I, you know I've been disillusioned by you know the entire political process 
from the beginning, you know, Gordon Brown, Cameron, and then Cameron again, you know, let's just say the... We've not had a good run. Yeah. I was going to say it's like, you know, having chicken for dinner two nights in a row. That's what it's been like. Yeah. <laughs> Do you think Jeremy Corbyn would be better? Like for... I don't know. It's yeah. like it's like a fantasy, you know, because <laughs> it's just it's it's the same with like the Americans and how they've taken on Bernie Sanders, you know, yeah. the whole you know the whole leftist socialist person with radical ideas, which is you know great, you know he's really fresh, you know fresh ideas. But they're not. They're all, all they're, that stuff. Are they though? Because they're also just things like. Let's not be horrible to each other. I know. Is that really a fresh idea? Oh I no, but know. like you know, <laughs> no, for a lot of people, for, for a lot of people, for example, um, you know, perhaps their stances on foreign policy, less intervention, that's considered quite fresh. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Um, but yeah, this this has been, you know, there there be, there's been a lot of talk basically, and then. Like, yeah, yeah. yeah. There's been a lot of talk and then um a lot of undelivered promises. So I'm just I'm just like, you know, whatever happens, go on. But even whether it's, you know, like I said, the front row and a Sadiq Khan Khan and Goldsmith, who I, I dislike both of them for different reasons, but um yeah, one or the other, it, it's it's like the, there are a lot of people being excluded. And like I said, I find it really shameful how Sadiq Khan is like considered the Muslim candidate, but he really speaks for very few Muslims. And he deliberately takes the kind of idea that a lot of people, you know, he, he he's deliberately not listening. Yeah. You know, he's deliberately forming ideas and saying, this is how it is. Well, how many Muslim women have you spoken to? Well, he clearly doesn't have your vote, does he, Tess? Um, <laughs> no. uh, absolutely not. Well, it's been really <laughs> lovely to speak to you. And I, yeah, thank you so yeah. much for... And I hope like that some welcome. listeners get like... I really, like, really genuinely opinions. hope that a lot of people listen and and learn what I know by knowing you, that yeah. all of their stereotypes are wrong. <laughs> thank, <laughs> thank, you. thank you for having me. No, it's no, been lovely cool. to have you. <laughs> it's lovely. So yeah, do you have yeah? What's your Twitter account for everyone to follow you? Right, so it's at Tesneem A A. That's all one word. T E S N W E M A A, like the battery. Um, you can you can follow me on there. You know, I blab quite a bit. Might say things you like. Might say things you don't like. But you know, it'll be cool to have you guys. Yeah, yeah. Oh, it's been lovely to have you. Well, sure. thanks again for coming, and we'll. Thank um, you for having me. Yeah, and we'll be here next week, yeah. I guess. We'll see you next week. Yeah. See you all. <laughs>